You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. Looking for an epic experience to enjoy with the whole family? Visit the Ark Encounter in Kentucky for the biggest thrill of a lifetime. Be transported back to the time of Noah, where you'll explore three decks of world-class exhibits and even get the chance to take part in our virtual reality experience, Truth Traveler. Kids aren't the only ones who will have a blast. At the Ark, there's something for everyone. Visit arkencounter.com today to get tickets and begin a voyage of biblical proportions. Mental Podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversation along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. You there? Did you notice that? Yes, you were. Yeah, and I, I was on so, it. So I am so <laughs> proud of you. Yes, I know. You were. I knew you would be. <laughs> I'm so proud. Uh, I mean, you think I would have had that a while ago, but you know. I mean, you know, we all just, learn at different points, and well, it's okay. No. I like the music, so I sit there and listen to the music, and I I don't hear the cue for when it's getting quieter. <laughs> Michelle, how many times have you heard this music? I like the music. <laughs> Don't give me it shit. hasn't it hasn't changed i know i like it though okay well. so i sit and listen to it and then i miss the cue <laughs> no worries you got it this time and i am so i, got it. I am got it. so proud of you for that <laughs> i'm so proud of you well good i'm happy to hear that well yes <laughs> you know course. i'm a people pleaser so that just you know you live that's for my it. goal every day make somebody proud of me well <laughs> You can count that as a mission accomplished in my Yay. book. But let's <laughs> let's now talk to the people who are listening to us right yeah, now. Good idea. On on <laughs> Facebook and and hopefully via the podcast, we want to welcome you to another episode of Mental. We are continuing our series, part of the Trauma Trials, in which really we're spending months and months talking about trauma to the point that maybe people might get sick of it. But we are talking about trauma till we're blue in the face. And this month we are focused on religious trauma syndrome. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, we're talking about trauma a lot, but again, we are doing it from different perspectives or different causes uh, of trauma in people's lives. So yes, we are. Yes. And this topic actually has some, some significance to you personally, uh, given that you just put out a book entitled Into the Gray, The Mental and Emotional Aftermath of Spiritual Deconstruction. Did I get that title right? I believe you did. Oh, Very well, well done. done. <laughs> that's, a, that's a medal in my book. That's an but, attaboy for you now. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But tell yeah. us a little, I feel like I can just kind of give this to you at this point because you've oh. written an entire book 
no. on things that kind of speak to uh, religious and religious trauma syndrome. But tell us a little bit. Well, religious trauma syndrome is included in what I wrote about. However, the book itself is specifically about the subject of deconstruction or what has commonly become known as deconstruction, that questioning of your of your faith, uh, maybe the tenets of your faith or your belief in God. Again, we've talked about a whole spectrum of, of events that can happen on there, you know, when you start questioning. But there's a psychological and emotional effect that seems to be prevalent for every person that experiences deconstruction. And that was my interest. Of course, my doctorate is in psychology. And so that is what piqued my interest. And then, of course, as I had mentioned several times, that was going to be my dissertation idea. However, because I was living it out and experiencing it, I decided to write about it from an anecdotal standpoint. And so my book is my story mixed in with some psychological jargon, a few metaphors along the way, and uh, not many answers. <laughs> that <laughs> but seems that's to okay be a, because... That seems to be a common trend, or is trend the right word? But that there are no answers, right? Like, there just isn't. There really isn't. Well, because I can't live your experience. You can't live mine. We We don't... We don't have the same personality. Our emotions operate differently. And as I mentioned in the book, I liken this whole thing to the grief cycle. Grief is very subjective. And so is this process. So there's no way I can give answers and I wouldn't want to try. And so that may come as a shock for some people, but I've had numerous people feedback tell me that they liked that, that they didn't want a pat answer, that if somehow they didn't experience it, they felt like a failure. Mm. They didn't want a sequence of events. They just wanted somebody to commiserate with what they were experiencing on an emotional and psychological level. And so hopefully that's what I've done. Hopefully they, I've provided space for people to join me in that little journey, if you will. And we can walk through that together. So, And I want to just note, I have read the book actually before it was published. And mm-hmm. this is a book you want to check out because you are right in that you don't provide answers, but what you do provide is the ability to relate. And no matter where you are on the spectrum, I think almost anyone can relate to your story as, as it's printed in this book. It, you know, it's hard because every one of us has things within our story that, you know, is, is so deeply personal and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so it was very frightening to put some of that out there right up to my experiences of, of being asked to leave church because it didn't quite rise to the level of abuse, if you will, but it was deeply damaging to me. And so I left that in there. So some people may read that and go, big deal, you know, or I may experience, hear somebody else's experience and think big deal, but we really have to be careful not to do that because each one of us, and as we've talked about with trauma specifically, each one of us is affected differently by any kind of trauma we're going to experience it differently and we shouldn't negate or disparage anybody else's experience. So I left that in there. It's very, it's very vulnerable. It's very, so I was nervous about people reading that because, because I was afraid they'd think big deal. But then I have to keep reminding myself that my emotions and my experiences are valid as well. And quite a few people have resonated with that experience because I'm not the only one that's been kicked out of church. So (laughs) this is true. This is very, this is very true. And right. I'm not surprised at all that you've heard back from people um, expressing that they've related because a lot of what you identify, regardless of whether it's Christianity or not, people can relate to it. Yeah. 
And when we look at this bigger, which again, it's not in the DSM yet, but religious trauma syndrome, it doesn't matter what faith you have or what faith you came from. No, not at all. At all. Like now, again, a lot of what Michelle and I talk about on the show is specific to Christianity. It's specific to churches. However, this syndrome, if we will, can apply to any faith. Absolutely. And that's why it's kind of being fought. Uh, well, it's not being fought. Why a lot of mental health professionals are fighting to try to get this into the DSM. Well, as we mentioned before, um, within the DSM is often treatment options for different disorders. And religion typically comes up, not specific to Christianity, but religion in general, whatever your faith practice is, actually comes up often as some kind of treatment for disorders. But there's no mention of whether of what happens when the religious belief system is the disorder, mm-hmm. when it is the crux of the disorder. So yes, again, that needs to change. And you're right. I, I feel like that there is a growing, you know, tide, the tide is turning. There's a growing need for that to be there. So that it can be addressed at the therapeutical level, be, or at the therapeutic level. I was because say it's therapeutical. It, yeah, that's <laughs> not a word. I just made that up. Uh, at the therapeutic level, again, that's going to necessitate a lot of practitioners actually becoming well versed in it, so that they can then participate in counseling people towards right. it. Because it's not everybody's experience. At one time, I think I mentioned this, and I mentioned it in the book as well. I actually went to a therapist because I was struggling with the process and I needed some help, and. She had no idea. She she sat and talked with me and, and I saw her getting more and more excited. She was so interested in the subject matter and kept telling me, I know so many people that need help with this. And she's a therapist. So she wasn't well-versed in how to help people with that. So again, it, there's a lot of change that has to come because of this. And it's probably going to take a while, unfortunately. It will. Well, and the thing, yeah. as you mentioned, and I think it, I think it was last week, the thing that you've mentioned is that really it's going to come down to studies. And we know, that, we know that studies take time specifically on what type of research is being done and really i think they're going to want to look at multiple age groups and maybe even following up right Uh, Right. so this is what you're experiencing right now while you're in the church and now let's look at this five years from now and how how are you feeling what's going on oftentimes those research studies that span that time range are the most impactful and Absolutely. I would not be surprised if, if that's going to be done with RTS. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like a long time, but I would guess within 10 years, we yeah. should see great strides towards making it officially a part of the diagnostic manual. Yes. Um, hopefully within that time frame. Hopefully. Even that sounds like a long time. <laughs> it does. I, 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 10 years, I would hope, would be enough. But I think what people want right now is they want it tomorrow. Well, sure. Because especially if you're struggling month. with it. Right. right. If you're struggling with it, you want the help. And and in all honesty, when I look back, it's been almost eight years that I started this process. So mm-hmm. I'm almost a decade into this process. So I guess it's not too long, but it feels like it. it well, sounds thank like Thank goodness it. you finally wrote a book about it. <laughs> That's what I'm excited about. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's uh, jump into our regular uh, scheduled programming and let's do our mental minute. Yeah. How are, are you, you going to start? Are you going to start? I can if you'd like me to. You go ahead. I just sat here and talked about my book, so go right ahead. Fine. All right. (laughs) Uh, This last week, I have been, I don't like, I do not want to present to the show like I am always in crisis. As a therapist, (laughs) 
That is not a good, that is not a good perspective. Uh, that's not a good persona, uh, rather. I don't I want people to think that of me. However, I will just note I have been very self-conscious this week. Oh. Uh, work is really, the, the pressure is turned up. And yeah. I am trying to get so much done right now because I am going to be flying out to Denver the day after my birthday to be trained in assist, which is a suicide uh, intervention training specifically for professionals. I think it's the best one out there. And to send me and one of my coworkers, it costs about $7,000, not counting airfare. So this is definitely not something that I could pay for on my own. Luckily my company will be paying for it. But due to us being gone for that week, it's like the worst timing ever. Mm. For the last six months, I have been a part, my team at my job has been involved in developing the training for a new electronic health record. And I don't know what people have experienced in regards to electronic health records, but when you roll out new software across a Fortune 500 company, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. And yeah. so we are preparing for this. It's actually starting on Monday and we will, my friend Nicole and I are going to fly out to Denver on the 16th. We're going to come back that first Monday back 8 AM. I am teaching uh, specialists on follow-up after hospitalization and I have to have everything done, everything prepared and it all work and, and flow smoothly. So right. the, the pressure is definitely keyed up and we're just trying to get a lot done in a very short amount of time. As this has happened, I suddenly am feeling self-conscious for some odd reason. <laughs> I don't really know why. However, it's impacting personal areas of my life even. Uh, even when I'm editing our shows, Michelle, I'm I'm being very extra critical. <laughs> and you're already very critical. So. Right. I mean, you yeah. got a whole spiel from me last night. I We're did. going to share a an, another lived experience episode tonight. Golly, I even reached out to the guest and apologized for how awkward it was. So well, you just, weren't you weren't feeling well that day. You had gotten I the wasn't. second COVID vaccination, so you weren't feeling right. well. That's true. So I was I thinking wasn't. about that later. I was like, you should give yourself a break. I mean, my gosh. It was the day after the COVID right. vaccine, but still the interview was not good. So <laughs> <laughs> however, we got plenty of quality content that I think is going to be really helpful for today's conversation. But yeah, it's not going to go out to Patreon. And I just kind of beating myself up over that, you know, just like, man, I need to ask better questions. What am I doing? And yeah, that's just, that's where I'm at. So you got a little imposter syndrome going on? Just a little bit. Just Just, a tiny bit? Just, just a little. (laughs) Yeah, that's normal. That's a normal day for me. It's just a normal day in the office. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Well, tell us about you. How have you been this Uh, last week? Well, as I was sharing with you before we started recording, my whole life feels very rushed right now. <laughs> like yeah. I feel like I'm always running from one thing to the next, and uh, yeah, and I'm not doing a good job of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, life is going on. You know, I'm I'm busy with a lot of things. My daughter and my son-in-law were just here to visit from Texas, so that was nice. I got to spend a few days with them, but of course, then. I end up feeling behind on everything. So. so when I actually haven't heard any of those stories, I've known that they've been home, but I don't, I knew when they arrived and I knew when you took them to the airport, how did the visit go? It, went, it was very low key visit. 
Um, she's not up doing much right now. As I mentioned before, she's pregnant with triplets. Which is so, so she's, exciting. Yeah. So the first day they were here, I took them to a little city here that's got some, you know, it's very historic and everything. And we had lunch and kind of walked around and everything. And by the time we got home, she she was feeling a lot of pressure and she was like, she wasn't comfortable. So I said, you should sit down. So um, she she spent most of the time resting, which was great. Uh, my son-in-law went to the gym with me a couple times. So that was fun. Got to spend some time there with him. And... Uh, what? I don't know if that's something I'd want to do. I mean, I don't He's, mind. He lives. He lives. Okay. Because I was just going <laughs> to say, I don't I don't know how comfortable I would be walking into a gym with a bodybuilder right beside me. I just don't know how that would work. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's a former college football player. He played for TS, uh, TCU. Okay. He's still a football coach. He does lift. As a matter of fact, it, she got onto him because he lifted pretty heavy. And she's like, you're not supposed to be lifting that heavy because apparently he grows muscle very easily doggone it i don't know that's such a horrible thing to have um but anyway so he he's used to it but it was funny because a couple different guys in the gym that i know when i introduced him said are you working out with her and he's like no and they're like oh good i was gonna pray for you (laughs) 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 because my workouts even these are professional bodybuilders and they're like your workout is not anything like we is more than we do so it's, it, you know, I, I do work really hard. And so he, I told him, I said, now nah, you don't, you don't need to work out with me. So he did his own thing, you know, and he hadn't been in the gym for a while. So he kept coming over going, so like, are you almost done? And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're here for a while, pal. <laughs> but anyway, it was a very nice visit. I was so happy to get to see them. I'll get to see him again in a couple months because I'm going to see them in July for her baby shower. So oh, anyway, just, just a busy week. And so it just kind of, you know, I always end up feeling behind the eight ball anyway on everything. So. I always feel like I'm running into always, always, always. I don't like that word in this regard. You I always know, fall behind. Always. There we... is not a time that my task list is ever complete, ever. So it, yeah, I'm always trying to catch up. That's my life. I'll, I'll when you when you do 15 you. different things, that's you know, it's the way life goes. So anyway. Bodybuilder, author, podcaster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus, I own a business that you know I actually have to work, so I have money coming in. <laughs> and you know your your customers are always so thankful for your services and and yeah. very friendly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got a new client just today. He called me and officially hired me today. And he had talked to a few of my client uh, my clients, and he was like, "Boy, everybody talks really highly of you." I said, "Oh, good. Then I picked the right ones." <laughs> And he laughed. He goes, well, that's true. You're supposed to pick the right ones. So, yeah, busy, busy time, but that's okay. That's the way life is. So let's get to our subject, though. Okay. Well, (laughs) today we are going to talk about the sequence of religious abuse. Why is this important? Well, I think because it shows how we get conditioned to mm-hmm. behavior that can be harmful to us and can be traumatic. You know, if somebody were to, were to, I don't know, you know, jump out and beat you up and that would be traumatic, it would be an obvious thing. But when it begins to happen gradually, you don't often notice. And suddenly you're, you're experiencing some trauma and some symptoms of trauma that you may not even understand where it's coming from. So this sequence actually is pretty important for us to recognize and to see how it is leading to this place of traumatic behavior or, you know, a traumatic response to behavior that's abusive. And, and again, as we go through these different things, I really like how you pointed out, you didn't even call out the faith necessarily. It's more mm-hmm. looking at, at that process. And it's, things are used that 
kind of trap people, manipulative tactics. And so I just really quick want to run through the, the sequence, and then we're going to talk about these in depth. But okay. there's three stages, or three, are they stages? I, steps. 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 So there's control by claim of infallibility and perfection, mm. mind control or group think, and that is followed up by the threat of punishment. Mm. Yeah. So let's unpack step one. All right, let's do that. So how many people have sat in, and again, I'm going to speak from a Christian perspective because that's my discipline. That's my background. Again, this can be any kind of religious experience, but how many people have sat in a service and, and have heard or have been told that the pastor is above reproach, above question, and that we're to touch not God's anointed? I'm going to raise my hand because I heard that lots of times. Yeah. And I actually want to unpack that a little bit because you mentioned that in the last episode and I hadn't ever heard it. Really? And you kind of are. How would you escape that? And and again, it's coming back up. Um, So don't touch the hand of the anointed. Is that the phrase? Do not touch God's anointed. Yeah. So basically it's a self, it's a self proclamation that you are are ordained by God to speak for God. And in such cases, you cannot be questioned because you are blessed by God to share the word of God. And so there's a prophetic element to it as well. But typically, this happens anytime somebody questions something the pastor has said, or the religious leader has said, they disagree with them in any shape or fashion. You will hear, and I can't, I've numerous, numerous people can identify with this that they have been told that we're not to, we're not to touch God's anointed. So, and and ironically to me, I question that because we're all anointed by God, every one of us. Right. You know, and and I think what we've done is certainly within the Christian religion, we've set up a system of hierarchical, you know, stages in which people up here are not allowed to be questioned. The masses are down here. And the higher you go on that ladder, the less questions you're supposed to have to experience. You're just supposed to be trusted. So it becomes... Well, the idea is, is that the people who are in those higher up positions speak directly for God right. or have ultimate truth somehow. Right. To where, because, and, and let's think about it. And again, I'm thinking in the terms of Christianity, but it could be any faith tradition, to be honest. So if they're in an authority role... Right, and they're preaching sermons, or they're giving lectures, or they're giving talks. I don't know what right. they call it in other faiths, but you know, if they're preaching sermons, therefore they must have heard a message from God, and therefore it can't be right. questioned. Which is kind of funny because I, over and over, I've heard former pastors or even current pastors talk about finding their sermons on the internet and recycling sermons. So you're talking about speaking situationally, preaching situationally. Rather than you know an actual word from the Lord, you know, and and so it's ironic to me that they're above reproach, but they're using somebody else's sermon a lot of the times, <laughs> or they're recycling those. There are pastors, and and I used to I, I followed this because I followed a specific church for quite a few years, and it was cyclical. The same messages would come around at the same time each year, and literally they're the same exact messages. Okay, now we have to be, there's something we have to throw in here because okay. depending on your denomination, 
they're oftentimes told what to preach. Okay, that's true. But I'm talking about an evangelical Christian church. That is not typically true there. It may be within the Lutheran tradition, the Catholic tradition, those traditions where there's there are certain verses that they're using on certain weeks of the year. Yes, Mm -hmm. you're right. But I'm talking about yeah. Yeah, but, but I'm talking happen. about an evangelical background where typically the the pastor is is free to speak on whatever he chooses to speak about. Mm-hmm. So it's <laughs> it just kind of is funny. Now that's not to say that couldn't be the word of the Lord and they're just recycling it. That's it's true. But often I just again that's me finding something funny within how the Christian tradition does things. <laughs> If I was a pastor and I couldn't come up with an idea on what to preach on, I mean, there are a lot sure. of good sermons out there and there are a lot of, you know, um, up and coming pastors who are, are putting out really good messages. Sure. And and let's think about these small towns all throughout the United States and throughout the world that, you know, they aren't big churches. They aren't. No one's no. going to know. And and again, that's not even really the point. I don't care what somebody preaches on. It's when you refuse to allow that you could be wrong about something Uh and you don't allow questions is when we get into this situation of spiritual abuse, basically, Mm -hmm. because you are setting yourself up as an authority in in a place that you may not be an authority. Again, and we've talked about this before, and you know this is a pet peeve of mine, how many people stand behind a pulpit and preach and have never had any kind of formal education in theology itself. That's problematic. I know. (laughs) It's a pet peeve for both of us. But that's problematic because that's them living purely from their experience, which is, of course, slanted from and viewed through their lens of life. So that doesn't make them an authority. Can I I just add one more thing on to that? Sure. It's not just not having a degree in theology, but oftentimes they end up counseling people without a counseling degree. Well, and you and I both know that's a different story because we've talked about that. The idea that I don't think if you, if you don't have any kind of formal training in theology, you certainly shouldn't be counseling people. (laughs) And and to be honest, even if you have a degree in theology, I don't think you should be counseling anybody unless you have some background in psychology as well. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that's it. I don't think that automatically makes you an expert and able to counsel people. I mean, you can tell them what the Bible says, but it's still going to come through your lens. But that doesn't mean that you're fixing their psychological state, that you're dealing with their mental health in a correct fashion. So, right. But these are our pet peeves that we've had for quite a while mm-hmm. that we've talked about before. <laughs> now, now, when we look at these claims of, you know, do not question me, do not, mm-hmm. do not question the anointed... Now, this can be both implicit and explicit. Right. Now, I think right. oftentimes we think of the expl- the explicit, right? Sure. Um, when they say it from the pulpit straight out, you cannot question me. You can't me. question me, right. I, you know, that is against actually, our bylaws, whatever. Well, and that's actually probably not the main experience most people have. I would get, I would guess that the majority of people are, are getting this from an implicit perspective. Oh, I think they are too, but I yeah. don't think people note it. No, of I, course, but I'm I'm just saying I don't think it's most people's experience where a leader has stood before them and said I'm without reproach and you can't question me. Most are not going to say that. They may be thinking it, they may behave from that perspective, but I don't think they're saying that. So let's look at some of the implicit right. where they aren't actually saying it. We'll see this when a pastor uses false humility. Yeah. Or even passing the buck back to the Bible. Well, this right. is what the Bible says. You right. don't, you're not, you're, you know, you might ask a question or the, and the pastor might respond. This isn't me that's speaking. 
this is the Bible. Right. It's the Bible. Yeah, this I've is, heard that lots God's, of times. <laughs> this is this isn't this isn't Seth's thoughts. This is the word of God. So if you have a problem, you need to go take it up with Jesus. Yeah. But again, that begs that begs the question of whose version of the Bible, whose interpretation, whose lens are we viewing the Bible through before we're saying that? Because every one of us reads the Bible with a perspective. There's no way around that. That's basic human psychology. We just do. <laughs> so when they say, well, it's not me saying that, it's the Bible. Well, what they mean is that's my understanding of what the Bible is saying, not necessarily what the Bible is saying. Right. So, However, but again, the, you can't question that. <laughs> right. And they're going to dismiss. If you try to come back with, well, it's your perspective, they're going to dismiss that. Right. Pretty easily. Yeah. Pretty quickly. And and if you persist, what they're going to do is dismiss you. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and again, I think part of that is a defense mechanism in them. It, it First of all, uh, some of it's pride, not wanting to be questioned, but part of it is a defense mechanism because if they have to allow that you have a good question and maybe they don't know, that's going to lead to some other questions more than likely for themselves and they want to protect themselves from that. And and they're, that's happening subconsciously. So again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say all the pastors out there are big, bad, evil men trying to do evil to people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they're, they're functioning from a perspective that often becomes abusive without even realizing it most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about what we've already kind of mentioned, right? The Bible. Uh, right. <laughs> referring. It's not me. It's not me that's saying this. It's, it's Bible. the Bible. There's also then rules that often are present within churches. For example, uh, women, Uh-oh. they can't speak from the pulpit. Uh-oh. They can't teach. There's Uh-oh. no dancing. There's no alcoholic drinks. You can't, uh, you know, all of the things that I was taught growing up. You can't do these things. I've done every one of them. Those are often... <laughs> so have I. I mean, hello. Well, you're That's not a woman who was... spoke from the pulpit, so... Well... I am. <laughs> depending on who you ask, I might be called a lady. But, you know... <laughs> Oh, for goodness sakes. Oh, come on. That's a good joke because that's one of the other rules. You can't be gay. <laughs> that's true. You're not allowed to be gay. So. <laughs> and then again, these concepts around authority and loyalty. Yeah. I specifically want to talk about loyalty because I think you have a story there from per- your own personal lived experience. Which story are you referencing? Because there's so many I can think of. Well, that's why. Pick uh- any of them. <laughs> Um, well, I know that before I was asked to leave my church, quite a few people had left or had been, I don't know if they were asked to leave, but I know they left. Anytime somebody ran into them in town and they shared part of their life, maybe they were struggling with an illness or there was a divorce or whatever, that information would come back to the church. And it almost always was met with, met with criticism of, well, if they just still went to church here, Mm -hmm. as though going to church, there was some magic pill that would cape bad things from happening in their life. So it was almost uh, it was almost a question of their loyalty. Bad things happened to you because you were not loyal to this church and to me, the pastor. But again, there's and even even small things like tithing and we don't even need to get into the, you know, the whole biblical debate on whether tithing is okay or not. In our church it was expected and there was a period of time when we were tithing But we were taking part of what we were tithing and we were putting it out to other organizations. So only part of it was coming into our church. That was, that was a big fat no-no. We were told the whole tithe has to come into the storehouse. 
it's a it's a part of being a part of this church. It's it's loyalty to your to your church family. So it wasn't just the giving that was supposed to be giving to God. It was it had to be done specifically there, or it was disloyal. So there's lots of little stories, and anybody you ask that has struggled with this can give you multiple examples of times when their loyalty has been questioned, even if it was subconsciously or very minutely. It has been questioned. And so it's not a matter of, are you loyal to God? It's a matter of, are you loyal to me? Hmm. And that's problematic because our loyalty doesn't belong to any man. It belongs to God. Can we just, one thing though, because the tithe is what pays the pastor's salary. Well, yeah. So so let's look at the perspective there. so, So if you are taking your, you know, your tithe and you're spending it elsewhere, you're not contributing to the pastor's salary. Okay. Well, I would like the pastor to be biblical then, because if we go back into the Old Testament, the tithe is used to have a party. I'm going to leave really? it to you all to go look up the verses on that, but yes, I don't, it is. Is it really? Yes, it is. Well, will Jesus turn water to wine at the party? Because <laughs> otherwise, I don't know if I want to go. Uh, no, but I, I mean, that's... You know, we have so misused those verses. We have so misused mm-hmm. the idea and the premise of tithing yeah. um, to to really put people in bondage. I know my, my husband and I tithed for years when we couldn't afford to. There were things being put on credit cards so that we could make sure that money went into the church every week. And we were constantly told, it, you'll be blessed, you'll be blessed, you'll be blessed. Yeah, that's, so. that's problematic. Incredibly. Um, you don't. <laughs> You don't put bills on credit cards in order to right. pay your tithe. That's right. not how that works. But again, so again, this goes back to the subject of loyalty. It's it's all about proving yourself, not to God, but to a specific uh, location, church, or individual. Mm-hmm. So. Everything we just talked about <laughs> are ways in which religion controls by this claim of perfection or infallibility. So you can't question them. Now, what is step two? Step two. Oh, Uh, mind controls and groupthink. Right. So we're not allowed to question, but then we're also not allowed to trust ourselves either. Right. And that is a subtle distinction because if they can get you to a place, and again, even if they're doing this subconsciously, if they get you to a place where you do not trust your own intuition or your own, or let's put it in Christian speak, if you do not trust the voice of the Holy Spirit for yourself, Mm -hmm. you have nothing left to hold on to except the voice of your leader who is hearing from God. That does put you in a place of being able to be manipulated quite easily. Yeah. And especially if you're somebody, and and I know that you're like this, I'm like this as well, a lot of Mm self-doubt. And and I used to struggle with a a lot with, am I really hearing God? And so if somebody were to come along and say, well, you know, you don't need to worry if you're hearing God, I hear God, then that, that would be problematic. Now, my personality would not accept that, in all honesty. It just wouldn't. It doesn't mean I would think better of my own intuition, but I would still go, no, hold on. That doesn't sound right. But that's my personality. Lots of people will accept that Mm -hmm. and say, okay, yeah. And they'll pass off that responsibility to their religious leader because it's easier. And, and, oh, I trust this individual. So why wouldn't I? But again, you're talking about a a subtle manipulation. I don't know if this applies, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to throw something out there. The issue around hell, 
I think is something that is used manipulatively by religion, well, specifically Christianity frequently. And in, in looking at mind control and, and not being able to trust yourself or your own intuition, you know, I, for the longest time growing up, thought I was going to hell. I Don't never, really be- I never really <laughs> believed that I was saved because there right. was so much question around that. There was so much emphasis around that to the point that it was like, well, am I really saved or, or am I like, what, am I going to go to heaven when I die or right. am I not? And then I'm, yeah, you're I'm, in a constant I'm, state of frantic behavior. Yeah, just constantly yeah. just asking it and not knowing uh, which whether I'm saved or not. And there's all of this doubt, which in that place, there's only one person to look to for help, and that is your religious leader. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as I was kind of deconstructing and I was wrestling with hell, you know, immediately there's this big relief that, okay, maybe I've misunderstood this all along, you know, and I don't have to be afraid of this. But that's quickly followed up by kind of some PTSD behavior or, you know, experience in which suddenly you're having panic attacks, you're worried all over again, what if I'm wrong? And you really just want somebody to give you an answer. And I found myself quite a few times, I wouldn't have gone back to my pastor, but I I found myself quite a few times wanting to ask a lot of the pastors that I knew in social media, can you just give me some assurance here? Well, the reality, and then I would, I would come back and say, but they can't because there's no way they can know either for certain. It's just not. And so you're left in this nebulous place of uncertainty, which is incredibly uncomfortable. And uh, But you, we do have to realize that the, this subject has been used to instill fear, and fear is a great motivator. And religion has used it well to control people. Mm-hmm. I have a few messages that are frequently used around this um, by religious leaders, and I just want to point a few of these out. Um, the first one don't trust yourself. I'm the spiritual one. Essentially communicating that the follower cannot trust his or her instincts because they come from a wicked place, whereas the leader has the spiritual authority to separate wicked desires from holy and pure ones. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I had somebody, I I had an experience with this. I was considered a prophetic voice in our church. Uh, I've been, I've dealt with prophecy since I was a, a small kid. And so it was well known. And I had a lady come to me one time and want me to tell her what the Holy Spirit wanted to say to her, almost like a fortune teller. And I balked at that and said, no, I, I don't need to do that. And she's like, but I know you hear God. And I said, oh, hold the phone. You have the same Holy Spirit that I have. Mm-hmm. ask God yourself. But it was a matter that she didn't trust herself. She got very angry with me because I refused to to be the go-between between, for her and God. <laughs> but that's the thing. So we have far too many people saying, yeah, I'm the spiritual one. I'm the one that hears God. You should listen to me. But people need to have some confidence that that first of all, God is no respecter of persons. He has given the same gifts to every single person. Some function in, you know, in a gift better than others, but we all have them. So you have the same Holy Spirit as your spiritual leader. Trust yourself to hear him and and use your spirit, your spiritual leader as backup, maybe for like to confirm. I agree. And that's what we need to do. All right. I'm I'm 100 percent on board with that. But like when we look at step one, we're conditioned not to. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. And again, all of this is subtle conditioning. That's what we were saying. It's a str- it's put in place. This is how this happens. Mm-hmm. So it, it builds upon one another. So yes, we're conditioned for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to run through some of these other statements okay. here. Uh, don't trust yourself because your needs and wants are evil. Mm. Don't trust yourself because it doesn't matter if it hurts. It's good for you. Oh, okay. I, I saw a reaction there. Sounds like That's, that might no, have. No, it's just I, I can't believe people buy this stuff. <laughs> of course you're going to think like like we do. We have the truth. Yeah, that very us versus them mentality is very prevalent. What's, it's prevalent. literally what has kept I, okay so oh i don't want to because i still <laughs> think i'm i still think i'm a somewhat of a believer so i don't want to like completely raid on the church but i think that has been used for i think that's partially what's kept the church going for so long yeah i would agree i agree and i'm a believer on some days <laughs> I haven't completely abandoned it. I mean, I just, I argue with myself a lot now. So, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good for you. Well, I mean, that's that self-flagellation mindset, you know, that's very prevalent in the church. No pain, no gain. You know, that's, that's not necessarily a church saying, but that's a prevalent, a prevalent mindset, you know, that, that pain is, is help is what helps build us. So if 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 we're in pain religiously, we must be getting holier. You I mean, know. was okay, wasn't that does that relate to Job at all? Well, I mean, his friends were pretty harsh to him, you know. They yeah. <laughs> I mean, they they went from telling him he deserved it, he must have done something to telling him to go ahead and kill himself and get it over with. So yeah, but I just remembered. Why I'm pretty sure one of the the people that spoke to him was the reason these bad things are happening to you is because you've done something bad. Oh yeah, we always believe that. That again, that goes back to and it's a term I mentioned last week, the Deus Ex Machina God. You know that we have to appease this deity in order to obtain good things. Can I confess something? Yeah, you said that in the last episode. Uh-huh. And I just went, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> you didn't know what it yeah. was. <laughs> I, absolutely. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, just kind of shook my head and went through it. Can you break that down? Basically, it's the idea that, that God has to be appeased, that we have to basically purchase what we want from God. So if I have a, if I want to, so how many times have you heard, and we hear this in TV shows and in movies, we've heard real people say it, you know, if, if you'll just get me this job or heal my child or help us in this, I'll go to church every week for the rest of my life. So we're offering something to God to get something. That's deus ex machina. That's, I think the that's last it. time. I think the last time I said that was, listen, God, if you make me straight, I will do whatever <laughs> you want. I'm sorry. Like that just took me back because I think that's the last time that's I said that. That's what we do. That. We bargain with God. And and we also believe that that's what God requires. That's the right. that's the harmful thing. It's one thing if, if us with our very limited knowledge try to bargain with God. It's another thing if we believe that God requires us to behave that way for his acceptance. That leads to a very subtle thought of, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I have to work for my salvation, which flies in the face of what we believe about the sacrifice of Christ. 
So there's some very real disconnects here. So we say we believe one thing, but then we operate from a perspective that says we believe something else. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it's deeply, deeply ingrained. Yes. So. And we've all made those conditions to God. Every single person. God didn't do it. So I don't know what <laughs> that see, says. Now, let's look at that logically because apparently homosexuality is against the Bible. It's against what God wants. That's what we've all been taught or the majority of us have been taught. If you were bargaining with God to say, make me straight and I'll do whatever you want. Why wouldn't God have jumped on that offer? If that's how God worked, why wouldn't he have jumped on that offer? Well, There's no because- reason. Well, I must be evil. I, there, I'm, I must... <laughs> I'm just saying from a common sense standpoint, you're offering God the exact thing that he should want. He should accept that. And there should have been, he should have tit for tat. He should have given what you asked for. But yeah, he didn't. But then he becomes because God doesn't work that way. Yeah, because he's not a vending machine. He's exactly. not my golden ticket. Yes. However, exactly. he's been preached that way for yes. a very long time. And I, I love Billy Graham, but like he is part of the problem there. That was his entire message, kind of. Well, was God again, was this the golden is, ticket. Yeah, this is, you know, we've, we've had cycles of different things within Christianity. And, and that is definitely one that is pretty prevalent. You know, the prosperity gospel lives and, lives and breathes quite well in our country. So mm-hmm. One of our listeners, Frank, just said, Seth, the prayer doesn't work? Damn, I better stop praying. <laughs> it doesn't work, Frank. It, does, it doesn't <laughs> God work. God does not work that way. Real sorry, it doesn't. Bummer. Well, and this is the thing. You mentioned us versus them uh, a few minutes ago. But also prevalent within that us versus them mentality is this very black and white thinking. And it goes right along with the sexuality conversation that we're having. You're either in or you're out. Right. It's either yes or no. There, There really is no gray, which... I just said, Gray, your new book is called (laughs) Into the Gray. You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast, running out to the store, walking the dog or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. We conquer cancer. For the mom-to-be who is out of treatment options. For the doctor who has a brilliant idea but needs research funding. For the people who faced cancer head-on and climbed incredible heights while they were with us. For the children who celebrate the end of chemo. We conquer cancer for all who have been touched by it. Conquer Cancer accelerates breakthroughs in research and care for every cancer, every patient, everywhere. Join us at conquer.org. There you are. There, because there is no black or white. Mm-hmm. There just isn't. And, and certainly not anything that we can understand from a black and white perspective. There is objective truth. I do believe that. I'm just not sure that we ever get to know that fully. In, in this life, anyway. I kind of hope that's kind of what eternity is, that we finally get the answers, that we get to keep exploring and get some answers. I don't I think- know. All I know is I better have a street that is gold <laughs> with a Your mansion. traditional understanding. Because I have been taught that <laughs> right. since I was a child. <laughs> yeah. See, and I always just thought, I'll just be happy if I can get in. I don't even care what it looks like when I get there. I'll just be happy if I can get in. <laughs> 
Because I didn't think I would. <laughs> well, the Apostle Paul talks about that, that some people will get in by, you know, like they'll get in with barely anything, but they'll still get in. <laughs> I, that, I hope that's me. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. I don't know what the verse is, so don't quote <laughs> I me. I don't either. <laughs> but I believe that's in there. All right. Anything else here with this step two? Uh, so we're first taught that the leader we can't question, and then we're taught that we can't trust ourselves. Right. Anything else you want to throw on that lack of trusting ourselves that we're, that's kind of ingrained? No. No. Okay. I think we're all right there. Well, then the third step is the threat of punishment. Which again Let's goes talk. back to the subject of hell, possibly. That's that's always the greatest motivator within the Christian religion. So, well, I'm looking through like some of the examples here in our notes, and I think that you've experienced like all of these. <laughs> uh, well, one uh, an example that comes to mind. It was after uh, about a year or so after I was out of the church. I was sitting having breakfast by myself one day, and somebody that I knew from church walked up to my table. And uh, when I asked how they were, they just sat down and started to unpack some stuff that had happened to them. It made me angry all over again. But basically, they had been a part of a vacation Bible school, you know, presentation. Yes, VBS, a a vacation Bible school presentation. And they had asked, they had approached the worship leader to play a certain song while the children were coming in. One of the other people on the podium who happened to be the daughter of the pastor chastised this woman for daring to come up there and disturb them. And when she argued and said, I just wanted this song played, there was an argument. So she backed up and sat down. Um, her family was terribly upset about it, went to the pastor and said, this was out of line. His response was, well, let's all get together and talk about it. And when they did, his response was, I don't think you all, Uh, I don't think this woman can come to church here anymore until she apologizes to my daughter. And the family said, well, so you're kicking us out? And he said, no, 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 you all are allowed to come to church, but she's not allowed to come back until she apologizes to my daughter. So there was retributive, there was retributive behavior there that she in in no way felt that she was, and she said that she said, then I won't be back because I did nothing wrong. And it certain, and even if I did, this isn't the way you handle it. Right. And so there was there was some retribution there. Um, so again, that's there's a punishment, an inherent punishment there for stepping out of line. And again, in this case, maybe touching that anointed, you know. And and so that I was so upset when she told me that I sat, I couldn't even finish eating. I was so angry. I was angry all over again because it's all these people I know. So it was mm-hmm. very frustrating. But yes, there's often this sense of punishment comes if you disagree or step out of the norm. If you di- if you're disloyal. Um, There's some retribution. It's questioning leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. And leadership cannot show weakness. Right. I mean, that that takes us back to the first step. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, so other examples that, you know, you may be punished for in these religious systems. So questioning leadership, considering ideas or questioning the, so considering ideas that are outside of the religious framework, I think, uh, in the interview that we had with Carl and Laura beforehand, mm-hmm. they kind of mentioned that a little bit. Kind of once they start thinking outside the box, right? People have there's issues. Problem, right? There's a problem. Problems. Um, so questioning the divine power in any way, shape, or form can lead to a, a threat of punishment, right. as well as leaving the system, volu- right. even voluntarily. Yeah. 
Because you, you're stepping outside of what's considered the right place to be. So you are, you're backsliding. That's another word that gets thrown around in the Christian religion a lot. You're backsliding. And we can't associate with that. I mean, there's often uh, verses that are used to, you know, to back that up. I, I believe there's verses and I don't know where they are right now. So don't question me on that. But where Paul talks about not even eating with people that, you know, I forget what the terminology is. But basically, if they're, if they're not a part of the group, you don't eat with them. Because that can be problematic. I think that's one of those things that, that should be changed over time. You, I think that's cultural. I think that's yeah. not relevant. I think much of the Bible is cultural. It's just, the, how can it not be? <laughs> right. And I feel bad as we even talk about this. I mean, I was very involved in the faith to where I knew my scripture like the back of that, my hand. I don't, uh, listen, I, I've not opened a Bible nope, in a long time. Not a time. while for and me. I, yeah. And I haven't stepped inside of a church building for a very long time. If any of my family is listening, I apologize to you. But <laughs> I, I just I haven't because because I've been hurt. But I want to talk about some of the ways in which people are punished. So first of all, ignoring the problem. We can't address that problem and you don't need to know why. Right. Completely right. shutting you it out. You just need to trust me. Trust don't ask questions. Right. What else? Uh, verbal misdirection. So, and, and that's that's a basic argument tactic. Disavow responsibility, turn the question back on the person and, and, and put them on the defensive. And that's a way for us to get off of the defensive as a leader. So that's something that happens. Uh, so rather than asking, answering concerns or confronting challenges directly, those in power put on put the responsibility to solve the problem back on the person doing the questioning. So if a question is asked, well, why do we do it this way? Well, why do you think we do it this way? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's almost all classic stuff. Yes. I, I would I would posit there that that person turning the question around probably doesn't have a good answer. <laughs> I, I'm not going to answer the question, but I, and I don't want to show weakness, so I'm just going to turn the answer back over to you and tell have you tell me. Right. And then whatever you give me, I can then build off of that. Yeah, I can build on it. Yeah. You'll hear me do that in uh, this podcast to Michelle <laughs> all the time. Anytime I don't know what... got it down then. <laughs> anytime I don't know what to say, I'm like, Michelle, and what do you think? <laughs> oh, then, now I know. I'm on And then whatever now. Michelle tells me, I'm just like, yeah, I agree. That That is very insightful. And then I can build off of it. Right. Now, this right. this next one... You know, I, it is my turn, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it. But but really, <laughs> Michelle, okay, I think you can speak to this a lot. Uh, so the next one's blacklisting. So duty or position is suddenly taken away from the individual, and it's given to someone else. And as a result, the person who is being punished, their social circle shrinks. I well, think you've I got some. I think you got some experience there. Well, I don't know what you're referencing, so you have to. I don't know. Getting kicked. I mean, I think getting kicked out of church. Well, yeah, that for sure <laughs> is is a big deal. Yeah, I wasn't the first. I wasn't the last. So, uh, sadly, but yeah, it, I mean, you do. I mean, that obviously limits your social social circle because typically, when you're involved deeply in church, that tends to be where your community is. So, if you're asked to leave church you kind of lose that entire community. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that and you're blacklisted. Absolutely. 
Well, I'm yeah, and I just combined those two things, didn't I? I just combined expulsion and blacklisting. Blacklisting is specific to your duty or position suddenly being taken away. Yeah. And so, like, let's say that you're on the worship team, and you start asking questions. Well, guess what? You're no longer on the worship team. Right. Right. It's handed over to someone who will nod their head and agree with everything the pastor says. Right. Well, so I do have an example of that. My my daughter and son-in-law, he wasn't my son-in-law yet at this time, uh, were in charge of the uh, the college group in our church. Hmm. And our church was small, so there wasn't a huge number of, of people in the group. But at, at one point, they had been doing so much for so long, they went to the pastor and they said, we kind of need a break. We would like to take you know a small break or whatever. Well, he didn't want them to because he felt that that was detrimental to to the group and to the church. And, but they said, well, we've all discussed it, all the leadership of it. We've discussed it. We feel like this is the right thing to do. And so he said, okay, fine. The next weekend in church service from the pulpit, he announced that his daughter was now taking over that ministry and they were never told. They were never, it was never explained to them. Basically, he just kind of said, well, since you don't want to do it, you're out. And he handed it off to his daughter. So, and ironically, his daughter was one of them in the leadership circle that had said, yes, we all need a break. So there, so that's blacklisting. (laughs) Yes, it is. And it was incredibly hurtful to them because they had really poured their heart and soul into, into doing this. Mm -hmm. And so, but people get tired. You get tired and you have to have a break every now and then. And I think that's one of the things that's very problematic in a lot of churches is that that is, that's seen as weakness. You know, and, and things like this happen. Well, if you're, if you're not going to do it, somebody else will. Well, maybe somebody else should because I'm exhausted. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so. Well, the next one is what I was actually talking about a minute ago. So go ahead and tell us about that. Uh, shunning or expulsion. So you're, you're basically dropped from your social circles. Immediate loss of reputation, uh, status, identity. And again, this is very difficult in the Christian religion because often the jobs that we perform within the church itself become a part of our identity. So if you stand behind the pulpit and you preach, you're a preacher. That's mm-hmm. It's literally attributed to you that way. And so when you're suddenly removed from there, you're no longer a preacher. So your identity takes a hit. Yeah. And I felt that deeply, very, very deeply. Um, and that was very hurtful to me. So it's, yeah, being shunned is no fun. I, I've experienced it, um, but sure no, I have. haven't. I haven't been kicked out of a church, so that you have. Well, that but there's all levels of that. I mean, one is no right. worse than another. If you're being shunned, well, you're being shunned. True. So now this this last one I want to mention, I think is is less common. At least I'm I'm really hoping that it's less. Me common. too. <laughs> uh, I hope that this is not the norm, um, but physical or sexual punishment. So beating, imprisonment, rape, etc. Those yeah. things I want to get police involved. That's Yeah. I hope that's very very few and far between. That's another that's another level. Yeah. Uh, I want to share some lived experience that we have from one of our interviews. However, before we do that, and I know we've already been on for for a hot minute here. Mm-hmm. Michelle, we've had several questions okay. uh, via our Facebook Live message. Awesome. Uh, so I want to I want to take make sure that we answer those questions first. And then we'll go ahead and share a story by Ben DeLong. However, let's go ahead and answer some of these questions. So uh, Street Cred asks, why go to church at all? 
I think it's a personal choice, personally. I no longer I choose too. to go. I mean, for a lot of, and now again, let me say that, be, let me explain that a little bit. I'm very introverted. I don't like large groups of people and church used to exhaust me like you would not believe, but I did it because I thought it was a faith issue. It exhausts me. I would rather be at home or go hiking on a Sunday morning by myself. So for me, it's not problematic to not be in church. For people that are extroverted and need that social element, go to church. Absolutely. You know, and I was asked after I was kicked out, my own daughter asked me, mom, do you not like it for people to go to church anymore? And I said, I have no problem with people going to church. I don't care what somebody else does. I just don't want that expectation put on me. So Mm -hmm. go if it works for you. Don't go if it doesn't. God still likes you. Regardless of whether you go to church or not. And I don't care what other people say. I I don't either. (laughs) Mental podcast has a stance on this. All right. (laughs) You are loved. You can be loved by your God, whoever that right. is. Uh, in the context of Christianity, going to church is not the. That's not the deciding factor. No, it's not. It's it's, it's really not. Yeah. I just I don't go to church because whenever I do, I cry, and I'm just kind of tired of crying. I just don't. There's just so much pain there. Yeah. Exactly. I, and there's always, you know, whenever I walk into a church, the first thing I think of is if these individuals know I'm gay, what will they think? Right. I've yeah. had so many negative experiences around that. And people will treat you wonderful until they know that piece of information. Right. And then once they know that piece of information, guess what? You are other and we will treat you differently. Right. And I'm just, I'm done with that. Like, yeah. I don't. Well, like I said, so if it's not feeding you, if it's not providing value for it, if you're going out of obligation, it's the wrong reasons. Exactly. It just is. So here's another question. Frank asked, and this is a, and this actually could be an entire episode. So Frank, we might not get to all of this, Uh, but he asked us, can you explain cult versus church leaders? Well, again, I think that this is going to be a matter of perspective I think that both probably have some shared common, you know, commonality there. Right. Both are seen as leaders. Again, some of the stuff that we've mentioned here, if if you're not allowed to question your leader and there's retributive behavior for questioning your leader, that's cultish behavior. Leaders accept challenges. Leaders accept questions. Leaders admit when they're wrong, period. And so if they're not doing that, then you're looking more at cult-like behavior. If, for whatever reason, they are cutting you off from family and friends and demanding all of your time, demanding your finances and your and things like that, that's cultish behavior. If if they are, and I'm these are coming off the top of my head, quite honestly, if, if they are sharing their understanding of the scriptures as the ultimate truth, that to me is cultish. Because that that says that they alone have the totality of truth. That's problematic. So again, a lot of our leadership within Christianity has done some of this stuff. I don't know that they've reached the le- the level of a cult, but they they kind of are looking like that cultish leader, but would probably disavow that definition. I'm sure. Right. That's my perspective on it anyway. And I also just want to bring up structure. I would think that religious leaders. Now, hear me out here. I'm going, to, I'm going to paint both sides, but I think when we look at religious leaders, typically there is some type of governing body. Sure. Not always, not always, but typically there is. In cults, you don't so much see that. Yes. Yeah. 
Now, see, so again, that's that's an experience that we had. My church actually stepped out from under the the de, the dom, yeah, the denomination that it was a part of, mm-hmm. because the pastor did not want to be told that he might have to move to another church. So they moved in that direction of stepping away from any kind of authority or governing body that could step in and have any say-so in the church. He alone wanted the say-so. So that's a big step towards that side of it. However, I'm positive he would not see it that way. Well, I mean, we can't find that too surprising now. No, right? I don't. But again, when you are when you're disavowing yourself of any kind of authority or or governing body over you like you've mentioned, that screams that you are trying to control a situation. And that, again, opens everybody up under you to manipulation. What else we got? There's one more question. Now, I, I'm going to read this question, and then I'm going to re-say it in the way I think it, what okay. the person means. But uh, Street Cred is asking, does surviving outside the cultural sense of belonging which I'm assuming what we're talking about, cultural belonging. So like, you know, stepping out, surviving outside of a church or religious context in which you have a sense of belonging. Does this bring about a new cultural identity? Uh, Let me just read it. Does surviving outside the cultural sense of belonging bring a new cultural identity? I think it almost has to. Mm Mm-hmm. So like in my experience, when I was asked to leave church, that was my culture. That was my, that was my base of community. That was my identity. Having to step outside of that meant I had to redefine myself as well as my whole social network, which I didn't have one anymore. (laughs) So I had to really kind of change how I functioned. Um, And I've mentioned this before. The first Sunday that I was not in church, I about lost my mind. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was so used to being so busy and involved in the church. I couldn't function. I had to start, I started hiking every Sunday morning because I had to be doing something at that time. And so that became kind of the center of my, of my new culture, if you will. And then of course I added people to that people that had left the church previously and things like that. We became our own group. So it was a, it was a shift. I don't know if that would be considered cultural or not, but it was definitely a shift in behavior and mm-hmm. mindset, which led me to opening myself up to different people, which I guess could be a different culture, I guess. I don't, I don't know how we're defining culture in that context. So Right. Yeah. Well, I definitely had to, the same thing. I had to reevaluate. Yeah. Uh, the main thing for me was, I was I spent so many years in the church with the idea that I could change my sexuality right. and it was killing me and I had a large community through that uh, and when I finally stepped out and came out you know I had to re I literally had to redefine myself um, and then developed an entirely different sense of self as a result of that now right. in doing this I did not And I want to be very clear, specifically if I have any family that's listening to this episode, I have not let go of God. I and 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 we're specifically in talking about this, we're talking about the ways in which religious institutions can be abusive. Right. We're not necessarily talking about God. And I want to No, more often than not, we're talking about how people within those institutions can be abusive. Exactly. Because the 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 system or the institution itself can't itself be abusive, but it can foster an environment in which people can become abusive. 
and we're not even we're not even touching the conversation around faith with God. What we're talking about is the pain that has been suffered by people, right? In these institutions, right? Well, let's now anything you would add on to this, Michelle, no, before we let's, let's do our lived transition. experience. All right. So we're now going to listen to an individual by the name of Ben DeLong, in which Ben shares with us a little bit of his deconstruction process. Mm -hmm. And he paints what I just tried to paint, this picture of being hurt by the church, but still having faith in Christ. And I I, want to start there because I think it it sets this conversation. So one second here. Uh, but have you experienced anything in regards to religious trauma syndrome? Have you questioned your faith? What's that been like for you? Yeah, I've kind of run the whole gamut, I guess. Yeah, I've began really rethinking and you could say deconstructing my faith probably around 15 years ago. Okay. And um, okay. and that's involved, you know, getting involved in in some other communities and, and, and finding healing and, you know, reading books and to, to kind of, um, find answers that, that made sense to me, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely been, a, a a long, um, challenging process, you know, because it's faith, faith has always been like central to my life and, um, and, and it still is. And that's, you know, I, I tell people, uh, Christ is like, I've, I've had so many painful experiences in religion, but I've also had, like, I would say all of my healing in one way or another comes from my experience with Christ. And so it's, you know, I, and so that's why I can't throw it away completely, Mm -hmm. but it's very, it's very difficult. It's like a detox (laughs) to, to kind of, yeah to kind of let go of, of some of those hurtful things. Yeah. I feel like that's us. <laughs> so when, when he shared that, I was like, yeah, that I can, <laughs> I'm, I'm there and I can identify with that. Would you agree? Yeah. I, again, he's right. It is a detox. Um, you, you've got a lot of history, you know, cemented ideas in your mind that you've been conditioned for that you have to start working through. And again, that becomes very difficult and it becomes very hurtful. You often feel very alone. And now I I will say he, he shares an experience of Christ being the answer for that. That isn't the case for some people. Um, Or maybe it takes longer because there are people that experience atheism or agnosticism for a long period of time in this process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they struggle with an idea of God you know, and I've often said that, you know, if, if Jesus was nothing more than a man, I still think his life was worthy of emulation. So if that's what he's referencing, I can agree with him. Again, people are still going to have to wrestle with the deity issue. Right. Of Christ. And, and everyone is on a different place right. with that. Right. There's not uh, this is what you always do. It right. And really there's no timeline. There's Yeah. There's no set right. timeline. This isn't a linear process. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's listen now because he's actually a pastor's kid. Okay. So he's a PK. Okay. And he shared something at age six that I think is pretty profound for him to realize at age six but it speaks to a little bit of the church environment and where it becomes kind of 
treacherous. So okay. let's go ahead and hear this. Can we talk about some of the things that have happened with your church experience that resulted in hard or difficult times? Yeah, sure. Um, and and some of it gets a little convoluted because my my dad my dad was a pastor, and so mm-hmm. um, you know, and so the, the a lot of the stuff that happened you know at home was what still had a religious connection because he was a pastor and right. And so Which I, that does complicate things because it, then it it's does. not just the faith, but it's also your family. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. So, um, one of my most pivotal experiences was, was when I was six years old and we, we had just moved to a new, a new place. My dad had taken over a new church and I, I was having a difficult time with the transition. I was kind of missing our old home and, and, and I was just, it was just angry, you know, and didn't know how to express that. And, so I, I, I was in the garage one day and I was messing around with one of my dad's golf clubs. And I, I can't remember exactly how it started. I, I think I must've like accidentally hit a hole in the wall. Cause it was like this really, it was like, it wasn't finished. It was like this really soft material. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I just started hitting more holes in the wall because it was like a way for me to kind of like, kind of like get my anger out and, and, um, and so my dad, you know, my dad saw that and understandably was very angry about it. Right. And then he kind of sat me down in the garage and was very, it was kind of like interrogating me, like, well, like, why did you do this? And, and, and he was holding a glass of water. And at, at one point he just like, he just got tired of it. And he threw the, he threw the glass of water in my face. Oh, wow. And it was like, it was just this really stunning experience because I, I could see, I could see the contempt in his face that he had for me in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I've worked through a lot of this and, and my, you know, a lot of, you know, like our parents come with their own baggage, you know, so a lot of that right. was because of some of his stuff, but, but it was a very jarring experience for me. And, and I understood, I very much understood that part of why he was mad was because the, the church owned the house. And, oh. and now I'm picking up what you're putting down. Keep yeah. Going. So the church owned the house. And so my bad behavior could cost our family's livelihood. Mm. And, and so like, from that point on, I had this understanding that if I don't behave, I can, I can ruin everything for my family. That's a big realization for a six-year-old to have. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's disturbing. First of all, I see a couple things there. You're right. That's a big, that's a big thing for a six-year-old to realize. And that's a lot of responsibility to put on a very young child. Yeah. You know, whether they knowingly put that on him or not, he picked up that responsibility and that that is difficult. So, again, he's not being a normal kid. He's adjusting his behavior to take care of his family. Mm-hmm. That's that's problematic. Uh, at the age one th- six. At age six, yeah. The one thing that kind of strikes me there, though, is he's swinging this golf club around. He puts holes in the walls. So this is an impulse thing. It's not something he went out there and planned to do. The same behavior is exhibited by his father. By throwing the water, the glass of water in his face. 
I would say that his dad sounds like he was struggling with his own emotions there and mm-hmm. and acted inappropriately and then said, you know, put the blame on the kid, which is is really it's projection 101 is what that is. And and that's disappointing because again, that's that's reinforcing the impulsive behavior in the kid because he's seeing his father act in the same way and then goes on afterwards to put this uh, this big responsibility on a very young child for his behavior. He was acting like a kid. Kids exactly. do things like that. Right. Trust me, my house has been destroyed numerous times by my kids. So, but yeah, to to recognize that wow, this this could have a a, a financial impact on my family. Me swinging around a golf club. How ridiculous. Right. right. Certainly not something a 6-year-old should be worrying about. Exactly. And the question is what happened at all the other churches? Like how did he figure that good out? Good point. Right? Yeah, good you point. You know, and I actually asked him that in the interview and, and you can hear his response if for our patrons are, are going to be able to hear that. But what happened previously? Right. Because in order for him to pick that up, he had to figure that out. Like yeah. something had to have happened along the way in right. which there was a bad experience or something and he realized, "Oh, we could be kicked out." Or we, right. sh- we could have to leave or, or things like that. Right. But it's not just coming from, from his dad. I want to also talk about the pressures that can be put on him by the church itself. So uh, let's go ahead and listen to one more clip here. A, a lot of it was uh, just interactions with the people in church and just their expectations of me at, as a pastor's child. And, and just over really silly things, like one memory I, ha- I have that's really vivid is, and we, we lived in the Midwest, you know, so it got cold and snowy and icy in the winter. And and the, where you walk up the steps to get to the front door of the church, it was a little icy there. And so I was like, I was probably seven or eight. I was I was holding onto the banister and, and letting my feet kind of like slide on the ice mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of having fun. And this one church person was like, stop doing that. You're the pastor's kid. And I, it just, so it's just over like simple stuff like that, that has like, no, like there's like, there's nothing just normal stuff kids do. And yet it's like, don't do that. Cause you have to set an example. And it's, it's like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Like, you know, so there was because of who your dad was yeah. and your family being involved in the ministry, you felt like that there was specific expectations, whether they were said or not said, mm-hmm. that were placed upon you. Yeah, very much so. That was, you know, and, and and a lot of a lot of this trauma for me wasn't just like certain episodes that happened here or there. It was just being immersed in that environment for you know my entire childhood, and just feeling that expectation. I also, you know, I, I would go to church camp and there was um, one year, I think it was like 11 or 12 at the, the end of the service, you know, and it's, it's so, it's so bizarre, you know, cause we've, we've just gotten done like singing all these songs about how God loves us and everything. And then they, they turned the whole chapel into like this, like this experience of what hell would be like. And, oh. and so like, I, I guess that's the best way oh, to say Jesus. it. And so the, the camp workers all became like demons and they were all like, like running around, like just oh my God. scaring people. <laughs> and, 
And then this, and this is um, just right after singing worship songs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, um, well, singing worship songs and then, you know, hearing a message again about how God loves us. And, and, yeah. um, and then this real big guy, I mean, he was probably like six, four, he was, you know, kind of chubby, but he was kind of like this, you know, he was this like big teddy bear guy, but like during the service, he, he became God and he was just angry and hateful. Like he had like the most angriest mm. look on his face and he was mm -hmm. pointing at people. And if he pointed at you, it meant you went to hell. And it was just, what a message to send to kids at a church camp. First of all, that's not, I mean, there's, a, there's opinions about God in regards, right? God is either loving and just, or God is like wrathful. Yeah. That sounds like a wrathful God, which is interesting to display at a church camp with kids. Okay. Yeah. Continue on. I'm just fascinated. Yeah. So, and it's, and it just, it's such a perfect example of like, of our, our whole, our whole like messed up belief system that we grew up in. Cause, cause that, you know, that juxtaposition of God loves us, but he could torture you if you're not, mm -hmm. if you don't behave. I mean, that was our entire belief system. And it's just, and so part of it was just being immersed in that all the time. That's incredibly abusive and yeah. traumatizing. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised though. I mean, we've heard lots of times of hell houses. That's what those are called. Right. But this wasn't a hell house. This was a church camp right after they got done worshiping and hearing a message yeah, but about I mean, God's love. But that's that's typically what those kind of things are, are meant to do, though. Right. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but you, and you're right. The, he's right. That juxtaposition of worshiping and praising a loving God and then experiencing this very hateful, angry God. But mm -hmm. that's preached in churches across America every week. I mean, as a matter of fact, if you if you say there's something problematic about that, you're not really a Christian. Often. That's what yeah. you're told. It's been a long time since I've been in church. I know that's right, but it's been a hot minute for me. So yeah. I feel like... Well, that's part I've, of the reason gotten, I can't go. I won't listen to that message. I refuse gotten, to listen to that message. I've gotten some distance. Yeah. But I'm just trying to think... Because I love church camp. Like Church camp was like the best... <laughs> time of my life growing up like that i looked forward to that every single year and i'm just thinking of the mixed message that's sending to kids oh absolutely you know? absolutely but again it's indoctrination and it, and again it's done from a place of tradition again this is not somebody sitting around going how do we traumatize these kids i mean right that's the outcome and maybe they kind of have i think that the the idea more is how do we how do we show these kids what the detriment to their behavior could be, you know, I don't know that we're doing it maliciously, but we're doing it to indoctrinate them into this mindset so that they'll control their behavior. We're again, we're using fear yeah. as a manipulator or as a, you know, as a, as a way of control. It's a good so tactic. yeah, it's disgusting though. I, I don't know anybody that hopes that God's that way, you know, I mean, oh, well, I don't know. I've got, I've heard people say that they hope their enemies burn in hell. That's a real Christian attitude too, by the way. You know, but, but again, we're indoctrinated with all of this stuff. We're, we're anesthetized to it as it's, you know, week by week built into our belief system. And so it, it makes perfect sense to us until one day you wake up and you go, wait a minute, that does not make any sense. And then you start the questions. Mm -hmm. 
And it leads you down that that little road that nobody wants to go down, but we get dragged down it anyway. So Right. Well, I think his story, I mean, again, I that's only three short clips um, right. from an interview with Ben DeLong. And if you want to hear that, you certainly can by becoming a Patreon um, or sorry, a patron on our Patreon site. <laughs> there, let me say that correctly. Uh, but anything else as we wrap up this this episode on the cycle or sequence of religious abuse, which just to, to review uh, that sequence, I have to pull out my notes so I say it correctly. <laughs> That sequence is um, control by claim of infallibility and perfection. Step two, mind control or group think. So the first step, we're told that we can't ask questions. They're perfect. They have all the answers. Step two, we are not allowed to trust ourselves. And step three, if we ask any questions or push, we will then be punished. Right. So again, this again, this is not something that is probably, you know, out there in your face. Nobody's got signs up going, we're on step two. You know, right. that that's not happening. This is very subtle. A lot of it is subconscious, Enough. subconsciously done and subconsciously received. And you may not even realize this until you until you begin this road of questioning. And then mm-hmm. suddenly all these examples begin popping up in your head. You know, and so that, that is, yeah. And you're traumatized by it. You just don't even know Mm -hmm. that you're traumatized. (laughs) You know, you may have these behaviors that are persistent with trauma, but you don't even recognize where they're coming from for a while. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of Christians and I was one of them live with at least a very low level of anxiety all the time. Am I being good enough? Am I acting appropriately? Am I going to hell? Does God love me? Am I acceptable today? You know, and it's difficult to live that way. It's not healthy to live that way. Certainly yeah. not mentally. And it affects, well, and your mentality affects your physical body. And and let's talk mental health. I mean, it brings up so much anxiety and potentially yes. depression and other mental health symptoms as well. Right. It all goes together. Yeah. Well, we we've been on we've been recording now for a little bit longer than we normally <laughs> do. So my apologies for that if you're still with us. And uh, to kind of wrap up this episode, I just want to go ahead and mention our socials and ways that you can get involved. We do have a Facebook group. Uh, My hope is that you join that group if you would like to. I do share a post in there every single day, or at least I'm trying to, uh, to keep the conversation going. What else do we have to offer, Michelle? Well, we have a hotline. Uh, we're not yes, the first podcast to have a hotline, but we do yes, have one. We are not the first. In fact, <laughs> I'll be honest, we stole the idea. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> they they now have patent rights to telephones. <laughs> uh, but we have a hotline. Uh, that number is 314-690-5005. Do not call in looking for answers to your therapy questions. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. Uh, that would not be ethical. What we are here for is, uh, what that line is for is for you to offer suggestions, ask questions about the podcast itself, share your experiences, share your ideas for future episodes. We would love any and all of that. So feel free to use that. That You can call it or you can text it, I believe, right? You can text that line too, right? So, yes, yeah. yes. You can okay. text it. But if you call it, just know no one's going to answer. Uh, <laughs> it's going to go to a voicemail, voicemail. Yeah. Uh, by me where you can leave a message. Right. So, um, so you've mentioned the Facebook group. We've mentioned the hotline. Uh, we have a website uh, yes, that yes, is we beautiful, is wonderfully done. Seth has done a beautiful job with it. 
Thank you. And that is mental-podcast.com, correct? Yes. And if you go to that website, you can find both of Michelle's books that are coming out, uh, her debut book, Into the Gray, as well as a second book that she contributed to. Contributed to, yes. Which, with a lot of other big names. And so... Uh, on that on the website, you can actually get the links to both of those books, um, as well as it's embarrassing, but there's a TikTok on there by me promoting What's embarrassing the about it. Well, it's a TikTok, so but there's what? TikTok on there. There's all kinds of it. Really, truly, go there. There's and a links ton of for every one of the episodes. Yes, and also all of the books that we're using and preparing the content for this series are on there, as well as all kinds of national resources that may be beneficial for you. So really, go there. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Go there, then call the hotline. It exactly. And <laughs> if you haven't, and, I, and again, I'm just throwing this out there, because as a podcast, we are trying to grow. And in growing, part of what helps us do that are reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you are an Apple user, and you listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to give us a review there. That really does help us um, get more, uh, what's the word? I'm, I'm not clout, but we get more recognition. Um, people, they can find us easier right. with those reviews. And so if you like the show, please feel free to give us a five-star review. Anything else we should mention? I don't think so. Uh, until next week. Next week. We conquer cancer for the mom-to-be who is out of treatment options, for the doctor who has a brilliant idea but needs research funding, for the people who faced cancer head-on and climbed incredible heights while they were with us, for the children who celebrate the end of chemo. We conquer cancer for all who have been touched by it. Conquer Cancer accelerates breakthroughs in research and care for every cancer, every patient, everywhere. Join us at conquer.org. Hi, welcome to your neighborhood pharmacy. Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? Well, it depends on your type of commercial insurance and factoring in your yearly spend, subtracting the deductibles, also depending on your monthly Ugh, allowance. Why can't there be a better option? Or you could try Contour Next test strips. A 35 counts only $19.99 over the counter and proven to be highly accurate. Go to contournext.com slash radio to see if over the counter strips are a more affordable option for you. Hmm, I think I'll try Contour Next. <laughs> 